All right, so tonight we're in our study in the, the book of Ephesians, and if you did get online, there's a little handout looks like this. You can grab that and, and uh, get started with us tonight. Uh, let me just kind of run through where we are. We're in a, the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians uh, is an incredible book. Uh, we're going to be dealing tonight uh, with chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and uh, dealing with Christ, uh, Christ's blessings. Really, we could say they're the Father's blessings through Christ, but we'll talk about all that as we get into the Word of God here in just a few minutes. If you're just joining us, maybe you're like just tuning into this or picking this up online. This study is the, really there's a purpose behind it, and it's to reveal Christ's sufficiency, um, the church's unity, and the Christian's duty through the study of this uh, this prison epistle that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And so, we are actually on our Sunday morning series dealing with the, the beginnings of Paul's imprisonment uh, in, in Caesarea, but eventually he's imprisoned in Rome where he uh, wrote these epistles to the local churches, especially Ephesians, I believe he wrote from Rome. And, uh, and so there's just a theme that goes through this as we build uh, the body of Christ and, the, and, the, and, the, and us as individuals, what we really are in Christ's likeness and image, and we'll never fulfill our call uh, unless we understand really who Christ is. And so the body is built upon the image and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this, in this uh, study, the book of Ephesians is broken down in three ways. And so if you, if you did your homework, um, hey, if you did your homework, do this. Type, uh, I think we got Ray at the helm tonight. Um, it's, Ron's at the helm of the audio, which is good. If you have Ron at the helm of the, of the, of the uh, chat, that's a bad thing probably because he needs to see what's coming in. But uh, he's great on the audio side, but so so we've got Ray on the on the uh, on the chat box. So if you actually did your homework, if you remember your homework, if you were tuned in last week at all to to do that, uh, put it in the chat box. I did it. I did my homework. Whatever, something like that. I know some of you guys actually did it. Some of you are probably going, "What was it? I got someone in house?" Yes, they're waving their hand. Praise the Lord from the AV booth. So, what, Diane, what was the homework? Let's just let's let the cow out of the bag. Yes, that was an assignment. And read the whole book. Yeah, read the whole thing. So, praise the Lord. I hope you did that. If you did, praise God. I'm encouraged, and uh, I hope you are too. So, if you did that, you'll probably be kind of tuned in to at least to some of what, what we see in our overall outline. So, by way of review, um, I'll just kind of want to remind you of, of how I've chosen to, to outline the book of Ephesians. And uh, some, most guys actually divide it in half, I found, but... I think I really like to divide it in thirds. Um, It works out good since there's six chapters. Um, And so I've titled this entire sermon series in Ephesians, Revealing Our True Identity. And I'll I'll get into that in just a moment, a little bit more. But when you look at the book of Ephesians and you break it down in chapters 1 and 2, it really reveals Christ's deity. It reveals Christ's deity. And I didn't put a fill in the blank on your outline. If you're looking at the outline, it's right there for you. And so we go to heaven, really, in the first couple chapters. And really, chapter 1, we certainly get to heaven. It's all about heavenly things, spiritual things in heavenly places where we're seated. That's where our inheritance is. It's in Christ. We're going to talk about that tonight. And then in chapters 3 and 4, it reveals the church's unity as we understand what God is doing in this time through the church. And so um, it's, God wants us unified. He wants us to all be working together. And, and so it's, it's obviously kind of difficult when you're like spread all over the planet. But praise God, we've got the opportunity through technology and the Spirit of God, which is much more, uh, is even better than technology, to get that done. So we'll talk about that when we get to chapters 3 and 4. And then in chapters 5 and 6, it reveals the Christian's duty. And so uh, the book gets really practical as we wrap up chapters 5 and 6, as a Christian learns how to 
to really be part of the body of Christ, and then how that impacts our relationships with the nuclear family in chapter 5, how that structure is laid out, as well as chapter 6, which gets into the practicum of how we actually live out uh, in the world the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. So, so tonight as we get started, before we jump in and read the text, I just want to ask you, uh, when someone passes away, you know, uh, if they have means and they leave it to you, they're going to leave it uh, in a will and a testament. And, uh, you know, in that, in that will and testament, you know, you go to the attorney or you go wherever and uh, they open that up and they let you know, um, you know, this is what you have received in your inheritance. I know a man one time who, who got all of his inheritance before his parents died and then he blew it, just like the prodigal son. Not a good idea. Uh, but ideally, you don't receive an inheritance, right, until, uh, you know, after uh, it's bequeathed to you which is typically after someone passes. And uh, when it's bequeathed to you, um, you know, you have to be alive to receive it. Right? You don't leave an inheritance to people who aren't born, <laughs> typically. Uh, so Paul has already uh, stated in his introduction that this epistle is written to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This epistle is a New Testament epistle written to the church at Ephesus. So it's important as we as we get into some of what we're going to be talking about in chapter 1 and the blessings. These are blessings to people who are born again. Okay, and so I know that sounds like pretty simple stuff, but there's a reason I'm laying this out. It's not written to those who are still dead and trespass and sins. It's written to those who are already, who have made a decision to trust Christ, those who are already saved. It's not to those who are not in Christ. It is written to those who have already obtained salvation through Christ and his finished work on the cross. So they're saved, they're born again, they're children of God. So Paul is revealing in the book of Ephesians really our inheritance. He's, he's, he's letting us really understand what we have to work with, which we're going to see in verse 3 is all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And, and so um, he's, not, he's telling us, um, he's not, he doesn't just tell us about it. I mean, he actually goes into explaining it. So it's going to take me probably a couple weeks to work through uh, the first 14 verses of this chapter, but I think it's worth it because there's a lot of confusion in the church today about the first few verses, the first uh, 14 verses in the book of Ephesians. And so um, let's go ahead and read uh, the first 14 verses, and then, then we'll go ahead and dive into our study tonight and the time we have remaining. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 14. Again, we'll review what we've already seen in the first three verses. The Apostle Paul and Chapter 1 and verse uh, 1 through uh, 2, we saw the, the introduction. It took us a couple weeks, kind of, as we overviewed the history of the book. Now, we jump into verses 1 through 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, uh, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's that word grace again. 
wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Remember that word inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, uh, who first trusted in, him, in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, uh, also after that ye believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, which is the earnest, uh, that's like, it's sort of like the down payment, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now that's as far as we're going to go tonight, and there's a reason for that. When I look at the book of Ephesians, I break it down really in three categories. Verses 1 and 2, uh, and if you have an outline, I've given you the answers of these two, um, is Paul's introduction to us. And I say us because I'm talking to people who are born again, the saints of God. If you're born again, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, this epistle's written to you. Now, if you're not tonight, if you're, if you're not a Christian, and maybe you're on the outside, so to speak, kind of looking in, there's things in here that will help you. You want to pay attention because God has so much for you through his son, Christ Jesus. Um, beyond just being saved from hell, uh, this epistle is going to lay our eyes on what is already in heaven, which right now is so important because uh, it's, a, it's a Laodicean church age and we're somewhat self-centered. So we need to be focused on things above, not the things of this earth. So this is a great you know, message and a great series to get in on so you can really get an idea of what's much more important than what you than, than, than the, the kind of the temporal carnal things that we focus on so much today. The second aspect that you see in the book of Ephesians beyond verses 1 and 2 is then you really get, I kind of lump it all together. You could break it down from verses 3 through 4, and that's really Christ's, um, that's, that's Christ's blessings to us. That's why I've titled it very simply Christ's blessings in verses 1 through 14. Even though I kind of included verse 14, there's a re, or verse 1 and, and, and 2 into that, there's a reason for it, which I'll point out in a moment. And then uh, the third, uh, the third uh, you know, division, if I was going to divide it up, is verses 15 through 23, which very simply is Paul's prayer for us, and really which he reveals even more about the deity of Christ. And I pointed out that this entire chapter really does reveal really who Jesus Christ is and his deity as God, and it's amazing. Um, you know, all the things that are in here. It's a very rich passage. And so Paul addresses uh, provision in his introduction. And as I mentioned, there's a reason I included the introduction in this breakout because one of the things he, he says there in verse 2 is he mentions, you know, in his introduction, he says, grace. He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father. We also read just a moment ago that he talked about the grace um, that we have in Christ and so it's so important. Grace is, uh, you know, you know, if you, or maybe you don't know, but there's an acronym where we, you know, we call grace God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. So if you want to make an, uh, you know, an acronym, you can type, you write G R A C E. Of course, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so in Ephesians uh, one and verse two, uh, he says, "Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ." In this instance. Paul isn't talking about positional grace, you know. Um, he's really just talking about literally you need, you need the provision of God daily, right? And, and we know that. I think we know that. He'll end this whole epistle 
dealing with the practical things. Paul's going to end this epistle actually dealing with, hey, now that you know who you are in Christ, know that now that you know how the body operates, and now that you know practically how to operate, I'm going to ask you all to pray for me because I have needs. I need more grace. Paul needed grace to stand uh, before Nero. Paul needed grace um, to do the ministry of an ambassador in Christ. So there's grace is, is really how this, apostle, how this epistle starts, and it's really important because uh, we need grace both to, to be saved, but we also need grace daily, and we need grace uh, to live day by day. So uh, so let's uh, go ahead and jump into the text. The verse, the verse I want to jump on here tonight, we'll go as long as we can, and I'm not going to belabor this, and if I run out of time, I run out of time, and we'll pick it up next week is verse 3. So let's look at verse 3 for just a moment. Because as we think about this, if you're, if you're in your outline, we're under point number one, Christ's blessings to us. And uh, point A there says, all spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. And you see that in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so, you know, when you look at that, I just want to kind of meditate on that for just a moment. We need to have a proper understanding, um, and I'm going to go relational on you and very practical right off the bat here, because before you just jump into the outline, and, and this outline is very nicely, and I'll, I'm going to share that outline and fill in all your blanks for you if you're following along with those, but before I get into all that, I just want you to kind of think about the proper understanding of our relationship with the Father. Uh, you know, part of Satan's end-time plan is to use technology and instant access to knowledge to erode the relationship of the family. So just, just park your car for a moment think about that. When you go back to the, the garden, right, what was it that, that Adam um, availed himself of that he wasn't supposed to, to take of? It was the tree of what? I don't hear anybody because we're in a vacuum. Yeah, I hear Ron. Okay, thank you, Ron. I needed that feedback. Maybe you could have typed that in the, in the chat line, right? The knowledge of, of good and evil. And so, right, so it was the knowledge, that, and then, of course, he, he took of that tree of knowledge, and the next thing you know, of course, he's hiding in the garden behind a fig leaf, and, uh, and, and of course, he's broken fellowship with the Father because he only had one commandment, and then he broke that, right? And so uh, that knowledge that was illicit knowledge in type has really been something that the devil has used uh, to separate our relationship with the Father from the beginning. And I, and I think that as we talk about the purpose of this study is to reveal our true identity. Well, one of the things that God is doing in the, in the very beginning is he's showing us the benevolent nature of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and, and even the Spirit of God. All those three, those three things, the Godhead is going to be discussed through these first 14 verses in great detail. And there's a reason for that because if you're going to be in Christ and you're going to be a son of God, it's really good to know the nature of the Father. And ironically, ironically... These same uh, verses, these first 14 verses, or perhaps I should say these 12 verses after verse 2, are used in, a, in so many ways to beguile people from the very nature of God and, and twist uh, the, the person of God the Father and, and his, his attributes, his benevolent nature. And so hang with me on this discussion of the, the, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the, and the Father and the children. Because we see in verse two or 3 that it's God the Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Father is part of, is the is the benevolent is a benevolent factor uh, in the Godhead. Now you say, well, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes, He did. He loved the Father. He obeyed the Father as an obedient Son. It's the Father who loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son 
so that we, you and I, if you're born again, could be redeemed, so we could be found in him. We'll get to that here in just a minute in verse 4. So the, the nature of God the Father is benevolent. You say, yeah, but I thought God was holy and he couldn't have anything to do with sin. Exactly. He cannot. That's why he found a way to redeem us from the, the curse of the law and from our sin nature. So it's amazing that the nature of God. So as we think about this issue of how verse 3 even starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Some of you are not used to having a benevolent father, and you certainly don't have a picture of God the Father as a benevolent father. And so, um, you know, in Daniel 12, 4, uh, there's a prophecy regarding this time in history. It says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I actually brought this up a few weeks ago when I was talking about the angel that spoke with, with, uh, with uh, John in the book of Revelation. And how in John, it, looked, it appeared that the book of Revelation opens up a book that's been sealed, which obviously I believe could be the, is, the, is the bookend of the book of Daniel. We find out a lot of the details of Daniel through the book of Revelation. I don't want to get off on a tangent too far on that, but I just want you to know that one of the pro- prophetic attributes of this time in history is in Daniel 12, 4, the, the Daniel is being told as he's sealing up the book until the time of the end, at the end time, there's going to be many that are going to run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, just like today. And so Satan is actively destroying families, um, and he's been doing it ever since the first coming of Christ, and he's going to do it even here more at the second coming of Christ. And you can see that because in Luke 1, 17, there is a, there's a, Jesus Christ is speaking of, of John the Baptist, and he says in Luke 1, 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, the irony in that is that that is a prophecy about Elijah the prophet, who will also do the same thing uh, before the coming of the Lord uh, here in the coming tribulation. So Satan is actively working to destroy the family before the second coming of Christ. And this is an example of this dual prophecy that's repeated from the book of Malachi, because he's speaking in Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, in chapter 4, the, the words right before we open up in the New Testament with the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ say this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And so this relationship with the, the children and their fathers is corrupted in part because knowledge is increasing. And you say, well, Brian, what are you talking about here? You're kind of losing me. Well, let me pull all this together. You see, uh, when I was young, I didn't have access to instant knowledge like some of you do. And so if I, if I needed wisdom, you know what I had to ask? You know what the Bible talks about? Any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We give it to all men liberally and abradeth not. But now what do you do? Well, you Google it, right? You, you, you look it up on the Internet. You, it, it erodes at the, at the, at the father-son relationship. Now, that's important when we come to Ephesians because you don't want to miss all that God has for you. The Father has given us all of this in Christ, and and the devil's done everything he can through philosophy and vain deceit to corrupt us from the simplicity that's in Christ. So here's a practical application for you. You'll never accomplish the work of building your, your life. Let's start with your life. Or building the church or being advancing the kingdom of God if you do not have a proper understanding of your identity in Christ. You're not going to be able to understand how to stand, uh, how to war, how to walk, 
until you understand where you're seated with Christ. Because chapter 1 is all about where you're seated. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ. I mean, you already are there. This is spiritual blessings, that not that you're earning, but you already have. This is provision for your daily walk. This is what gets you up in the morning and gets you going. This, that's the kind of information we're unpacking here in verses 2 through 14. This is stuff that you need to know and you need to know it now. And you don't want to try to get your, your resources somewhere else because this is coming from God on high and he wants to encourage you. But the problem is with some of us, is, and not me, praise God, but some of us have not come up with good fathers. Maybe you had a father who abandoned you or a father who abused you. Maybe you had a father, an earthly father, who just was a horrible example of what it is to be a father. Well, you know what the great thing is about this, this passage in Ephesians. When we talk about all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, that's given to us by our heavenly father. Man, don't allow the devil to rob you of the character of, this, of our father in heaven. He's so benevolent, and, and it's important that we understand that. God wants to help you by helping you realize the reality of your father in heaven. Many people actually will take this passage and, and use it to characterize God and His holiness, which He is holy, and He can't have anything to do with sin, and He can't. But they minimize the fact that this benevolent Father has given His Son, and the doctrine of love just permeates uh, when you look at the, the, the first chapter because it's all about how God managed to get a sinful, uh, a sinful race in Adam redeemed through His Son, Christ, and how He had this planned out before the beginning. I mean, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, God is awesome in the true sense of the word, Jeff Trude. And so, and so we, don't, we do not have to wait until we die to get these things. Paul is laying out for us the blessings that come standard when we're born again. This is like a standard package, right? So, like, you know, if you want automatic transmission, you want automatic windows, you know, you want a, you want a, you want a, you know, whatever size, I, minimum six-cylinder motor in a car, you need a, maybe a V8 in a truck, you want all these things to come standard when you buy something, right? So with your salvation, when Jesus Christ purchased you, all these blessings, which are all these things, we're going to talk about the word all of them if we have time tonight, all these things are given to you when you get saved. It's incredible. It's awesome. So here's, this, here's the list. I'm not going to make you wait till next week. Let's just run through this list. And if you have an outline, they're, they're just all these fill in the blanks here at the bottom. We're going to run through this real quick so you can fill this out. And, uh, and, and let's look at the, at, the, at the things that are given to us, the us words that we talked about last week. Uh, I've got seven things here. Now, this is my outline, so yours might be a little different, and that's cool. But this is how I broke this out for us to study in the next few weeks regarding the blessings that we have in Christ. So, number one, um, let's look at verse four. Uh, well, first of all, verse 3, we've already read it. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You could probably make that a point into itself and highlight it and make it eight blessings and have a new beginning. Praise God. But I, I, I'm using that as the title, right? And I'm going I'm to underneath that, I'm going to unfold these. And the first one I would have is he has chosen, he's chosen us. You see that right there in the text in verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. And there's that word I mentioned a minute ago, love. In love, love is a key doctrine that, that cannot be forsaken in, this, in these verses. So uh, I can't emphasize that enough. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then the next one that you see is in verse 5. So just keep reading. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. So he's predestinated us. You're filling the blank there is predestinated. That's a big word, so you'll have to look that up. P-R-E-D-E-S-T-I-N-A-T-E-D. Predestinated. 
You're like, man, Brian, what's that all about? You're going to have to hang on. I'll get to that because there's a lot of confusion about what that's all about as well. And then the third thing that you see is in verse 6. He says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of the glory of his grace, uh, wherein, there's that word grace again, by the way, uh, wherein he hath made us accepted, made us accepted in the beloved. So the third one is he has made us, the word is accepted in the beloved. And uh, I'll talk to you later about what that word beloved, what that really means. And so sometimes that's confusing as well. We'll straighten out some things there. Verse 7, it goes on to say, um, uh, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So uh, the the fourth point point is he has forgiven us. In verse 7, There's not really an us word there, but we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins to the riches of his grace. So he's forgiven us. And then in verse, in the the next one, the fifth one is, uh, he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. We just read that in verse 8. So those blanks there are wisdom and prudence. He's forgiven us and he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, verse 8. And then the sixth one is, he has made known unto us the mystery of his will. When you come on down to verse 9, he says, having made known unto us, and there's, there's another us word, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed, I'm sorry, in himself. Now, it doesn't stop there, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one, here's the word all, the word all is going to be very important, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Uh, this is lining up very nicely with the last, cha- the last verse in the chapter. Um, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. There's that word inheritance again. This word inheritance is pretty important. And then here's the word predestinated again. An inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And so in verses 9 through 12, we see that he has... He has made known unto us the mystery of his will. Well, what is that? Well, in verse 12, he says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And then Paul includes also us in whom ye also trusted, right? So all of us that have trusted in Christ in verse 13. And then he goes on to share even more of what has been blessed and given to us through Jesus Christ because of the love of the Father. In verse in, in uh, verse thirteen, he goes, "In whom uh, ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth." And I like verse thirteen because it, it's very clear about how you get these blessings. It's not because you know this was something that was given to you, uh, you know, millions of years ago. Um, it, it's because you you actually did something in time while you were dead in trespassing sins. And yes, you can do this because God gives you volition to do it. It, it says in verse thirteen, "In whom." You also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Somebody preached the gospel. And then it says, uh, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you, that you believed, you were sealed with the spirit of promise. You came to faith in Christ. You believed what God said. It was counted to you for righteousness. And you were, as we say, quickened. We'll get to that in chapter 2. Quickened by the spirit of God. And so in verse 13, he says, something happened. You know what? Uh, the seventh point is he has sealed us with this Holy Spirit of promise and provided for us the earnest of our inheritance. As you go down to verse 14, he goes on to say, 
uh, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and the praise of his glory. So we could wrap it up right there. We'd be just about done. So that's really the verses that I've just kind of walked you a little bit slower through there. And I've showed you that, that you know, he has, he's chosen us in him. He's predestinated us under the adoption of children by Christ to himself. He has accepted, uh, he has made us, I'm sorry, accepted in the beloved. He has forgiven us. He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He has made known unto us the mystery of his will. And, of course, he did that through the gospel. And then he has, when that was received, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise and provided for us the earnest of our inheritance. Now, each one of those aspects that we've just seen here are absolutely incredible. And when you uh, think about that, it's amazing. So I want to just kind of circle back to where we started in verse 3 and, and kind of meditate just a little deeper on this in the time we have remaining. Notice the word all. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with some spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. It doesn't say some. It says all. The word all, you know, this is really going to blow you away, but the word all means, well, it means all. How many spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Think about it that way. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All spiritual blessings. Okay, so what, what does that really mean? Well, the amazing thing to consider is that God the Father is holding no spiritual blessing in heavenly places from you. But you can also identify all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And this isn't rocket science. This is what God's trying to reveal to us through this epistle, is that all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are found in the Son, in Christ Jesus. And that's why it's so incredible. And so we literally have an inheritance at the throne of God right now because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's been given to us by the Father. And so this is like taking the, the concept of John 3.16 and blasting it up into a, into a concept that maybe we've never even thought about. And so, yeah, God so loved the world, but once someone's in the world and gets saved and loves the Son by, by obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, now the love of the Father is made available to them through the Son and all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are available, not after the resurrection, but now. Right? You're a new creature in Christ. Now is, the, is, the, is when these blessings are made available. And so, excuse me, I'm, I'm readjusting myself because this, this, uh, this situation isn't comfortable for me, so forgive me. All right, so, so, the, uh, so that's an amazing thing to consider. So God the Father is, is holding nothing back. So the word all is mentioned 10 times in Ephesians chapter 1, but if you study through the whole book, it's going to be found 43 times. And all has a, has a prominent place in the, the, uh, the descriptions uh, and, and in describing our inheritance in Christ. In the very last verse of the chapter, in Ephesians chapter, uh, I'll go back to verse 20. Um, it says at the end of this chapter, it says, which he, brought, I'm sorry, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, and power, and might, and dominion, and, and every name that is named, not only in word, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the word all is very prominent, as you can see in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, but it's also prominent in the entire book, as you see it mentioned in the, it's only mentioned 10 times in the first chapter, and it's very important and poignant when it is mentioned. 
and, and it's pointing to Christ. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. Um, and, and everything is going to the Son. The inheritance of the Father goes to the Son, and because of that, it comes to us because we are the sons of God and we are found in Christ. I just really gave you the whole thing. That's, that's really what you need to know about chapter 1. Uh, it's an incredible thing. But the, the, church, the church's unity is also related to this. That's why this thing keeps unfolding. And remember that three-phase outline that I gave you uh, in Ephesians. Uh, you know, Christ's deity in verses 1 and 2, the church's unity in verses 3 and 4, and the Christian's duty in verses 5 and 6. Well, that plays into it because when you get to chapter 4, um, a key verse is found regarding the church. And it says in Ephesians 4, 6, there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So all things that you can imagine that are, that are in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Ghost, God is saying is in you, is in the church, but he's also in you as an individual because Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. It's, a, it's amazing. There's a lot there, but I'll wait till we get to chapter 4 to get into all of that. But there's a lot there. There's a lot. I mean, it's eternal. When you're talking about everything that's in Christ, you're talking about eternity. I mean, it's amazing. All right, so, so it's, it's really practical in regard not just to the deity of Christ, because he is all in all, the, end, the very last verse of chapter 1. But in Ephesians 4, 6, he's also saying, hey, by the way, church, there's one body, there's one spirit, and, and by the way, there's one God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's in you all through that earnest of the spirit that we already saw. We'll talk about that later. And so the Christian's duty is also related to this word all. And this is a, probably a lot more familiar to you because you got to use the word of God. You can't just sit around pontificating about deep concepts. You've got to actually get out and apply it practically. I know, I know many of you at HBF do that. You're sharing the gospel and you're getting up. And when you think of Ephesians, you're not thinking about the deity of Christ in chapter 1, you're thinking about how in the world do I put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand. And right in the middle of that passage that encourages all of us every day to put on the armor of God, right in chapter 6, the practical nature, the duty of the Christian is to be ready for battle, to be ready to stand. You know, this whole book, it goes back, first it wants you to know where you're seated. You're seated in heavenly places. Your identity is in Christ. Then it wants you to know you're, 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 you're connected to a body of Christ. You're unified with a group of people through the Spirit of God called the church, the body of Christ. And then it prepares you practically to, to take a stand for Christ. And so if you're going to take a stand, you need to understand the role of the local church and your position in Christ. And this, this epistle lays that out so sweet. But when you get to Ephesians 6 and you're actually putting some rubber to the road and you're trying to get some traction every day for work and, and school and, and this world that you live in, you think of Ephesians 6 and the whole armor of God. And remember what Paul said there. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, right? God wants our whole effort, man. He wants our whole, He wants us all in. He's all in for us. He's given us all things, and now he's saying, hey, I need you to be all in. Later on, Paul in that same chapter says, hey, I need, I need you guys to pray for me always, right? And so uh, all, after you've done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness. You guys know the passage. So you understand how important it is to be ready. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that comes from being all in. And so if you really want to be all in, it doesn't really start in Ephesians 6. It doesn't start with knowing there's a real battle to fight, though there is a real battle to fight. It really starts knowing that there's a real battle that's been won. Right? Before you're ready for a real battle to fight, 
you've got to back up and realize the battle's already been won in Christ. You've got to understand your identity in Christ. You've got to have a proper view of the Father, or you're going to be out to lunch. So it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So the blessings are not physical. Though we do have a physical inheritance in regard to our body, the, when we get this old carcass redeemed, we'll be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And so we do have a physical inheritance in that regard. But our spiritual blessing is in heavenly places, and it's attainable now. This is a, a spiritual blessing found in the person of Christ that's available right now because of the earnest of our inheritance. That's why we're called to, to enter the throne room with boldness. You say, well, well, I'm not in heaven yet. Yes, you are. It's what he's trying to say. You're as good as there, and Christ is as good as here because he's in you and he's in the church. And so these, are, these things that we're going to be studying in Ephesians are so important. And also, we need to, and if you're following along in the outline, that was point B. Um, I just, uh, just kind of blew past that. Uh, you need to, to, blessed, oh wait, notice the word all. Um, point C, I just blew past that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who have blessed us with all spiritual the blank there is spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All right, so now we're to point D. Uh, already to the last point, but this one's going to take me just a few minutes. So count your blessings. Count your blessings. As the old song says, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. That's what we're going to be doing as we work through the rest of these uh, seven points. I'm going to go back through and, and just uh, articulate a little bit more about each one. And the first one, that we're the only one we're going to cover tonight is he has chosen us in him. He's chosen us in him. And so you have some verses there, and you have some room to write if you're a note taker. He's chosen us in him. So some falsely teach that you were, were in Christ before you were even in Adam. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like you were like in eternity past in Christ, and, and that's definitely not the case. Um, that's not the case that's set forth by the Apostle Paul, uh, nor what God is trying to communicate. Remember, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible says... When, uh, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That doesn't sound like chosen people to me. <laughs> that sounds like sinners that need a Savior. And frankly, that's everybody. And of course, we know Paul here is referencing a time when there, Israel has chosen people as well. Uh, but of course, we know in the book of Romans that he's elected that all men have fallen short of the glory of God because now the standard is not the law of Moses. The law of Moses has been fulfilled in one man. That man is Christ. So now there's even a higher standard, and the standard for righteousness is Christ. It's not that the law is bad. It's our schoolmaster because there's only one person who's kept the law, and that person is Christ. So if anyone... Jew or Gentile today wants to be saved, they must be saved through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're contrasting that with the verses that are coming in Ephesians chapter 2, because Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There had to be a sacrifice to bring you nigh to Christ. And that sacrifice is really important because that is where we, we notice in the text, in our text, in verse 4, it says, according as he hath chosen us, uh, don't forget, in him, in him. Who is him? Well, him is Christ. He's our sacrifice. He's chosen us in him. When? Well, before the world began. What he's saying is that his, the provision for man's salvation has always been intended to be in 
Christ who is above all and in all and through all, right? So that is what, that's what the Lord is trying to teach us there. So, and we can go on to see even beyond that, that, once we're in, that before we were ever in Christ, which is abundantly clear in the text, we're in Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For in Adam some people died and some people were chosen. No, all die. In Adam all die. All die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So what is Paul really doing? He's, he's in one verse summarizing Romans, right? <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all you got to know. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. There's no one that meets the standard of righteousness because the righteousness is Christ. And Christ is our righteousness, as he makes the point in the book of Romans. So because of that, in Adam, all die. We're all made in Adam's image, which is that of his fallen, and also his likeness. And so we get the image of Christ restored in us, the image of God restored in us through Christ. And, of course, we will be changed into his very likeness. And we get that physical inheritance. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the adoption aspect which is kind of cool and it ties into this issue of being chosen predestined and elect which i know some of you are probably right now saying okay brian i want to know what you got to say about that i'm not going to get into all of that tonight but i am giving you a little bit to think about as we get into this so don't confuse uh, don't be confused about god's foreknowledge in regard to the capacity of his son to save the world now this is definitely might set a few people off their rocker so you listen carefully but listen the Bible tells us in John three sixteen very clearly, a very simple verse we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. By the way, I'll just point out once more, because God's benevolent by nature, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that takes nothing away from God's holiness. He can't have anything to do with sin, so... That's why he sent his son as propitiation for our sin, right? To, to rectify that problem and to, and to deal with that tension. And that's why if you don't choose Christ, you're going to be forever lost. You're going to die. It's not about Christ choosing you. It's about you choosing Christ. Because God has decided whoever chooses Christ is chosen. So I just gave away all the marbles. So 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's clear that God the Father desires all be found in Christ, but only those who have been made nigh by the blood of Christ, which we just read about here in Ephesians, will be counted as saints. God does yield his volition to man's if he will not receive the love of the truth. We see that in Second Thessalonians, don't we? He says it. If you don't receive the love of the truth, well, guess what? I am holy, and you're going to have nothing to do with me because there's only one way to have access to the Father, and that's through the Son. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. I don't know how this can get so confusing to people, but it does. So let's be clear that no man can be found in Christ until he is born again. You're not found in Christ until after you have been born again. No man can be born again until he's been found in Adam (laughs) because you're not alive. And when you're found in Adam, you're eventually dead in trespass and sins. I mean, eventually you're born in Adam. You're sinful by nature. You don't even have to do anything. You are sinful. Um, and so Paul, in this very epistle, says that we were far from God. In Ephesians 2.1, I want you to listen to some more verses that Paul says. Uh, because, because this is not about God sitting back and saying, you know, I'm going to select 30 people over here and I'm going to cast away 60 people over there. No. 
God, it's more like God saying, you know what? I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy, buy plane tickets for everybody, but I'm only going to let those who receive Christ on the plane. And so he would like to see everybody filled with seats, but obviously there's going to be some empty ones. So Ephesians 2, 1, the Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now let me back up on what I just said. So that's a great analogy, but it is just an analogy. There is a fullness of the Gentiles which will be come in. So God does know the last Gentile that is going to get saved. So in the dispensation of grace, he has a, he has a moment when it's over. And so that's why today is the day of salvation. And, and, and so you need to get saved while you can. Uh, because the, the, this dispensation after that is, is reverts back to the Mosaic one uh, during the tribulation. And you have to endure to the end to be saved. That's all there is to it. And, uh, and, if you, and you don't want to be in the tribulation. You wanna, you, you, God wants to save you today while it is today. So just, just saying. But anyway, back to my, my, my point here. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2.1 about, about us being dead in trespass and sins. And see how important it is that we are saved by grace through faith through the finished work of Christ, that we put our faith in Christ. Because he, he starts in the second chapter, and he says, And you hath he quickened, brought to life is what that means, quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he's saying, hey, you were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 3 of the same chapter, he says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Our identity was in Adam. Our identity was that of those that were sinners, those that were slotted for God's wrath. In Ephesians 2.12, the Bible says that at, the time, at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I already said that once. So it's very clear that, that though God the Father desires men to be saved, they are not preselected. God... God chooses those who choose His Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. This gets worked out in time. There is not one reference to the word chosen in the New Testament that refers to someone being decreed. And so God chose uh, to have men be saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is clear by the first incident of Adam's sin in the garden. God chose an animal to die to cover Adam's sin. It was not that He was choosing, it was not that he was choosing Adam, it was that he chose those of Adam's sinful race to be found in Christ before the beginning of the world. It's about God's foreknowledge. God knew that if men were going to be found, uh, found, right, they were going to be chosen. They were going to be chosen because they found Christ. Christ has always been uh, the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So Paul said, he said it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9. It says, He who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Oh, see, you got, I got you, Brian. See, before the world began, you know, you, you were already selected to be saved. Uh, before the world began, Jesus Christ was already the, the, the avenue for our salvation. He is a Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. But you know what? It's very clear that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were children, as, uh, children of wrath. We were aliens until we heard the gospel of our salvation, until we heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because we received Jesus Christ, verse three says, or verse 4 says, according as he hath chosen us in him. God in his foreknowledge knows those uh, that would be chosen in him. Anyone that's in Christ, well, they're already, they get the spiritual blessings. God knew that from the beginning of the world. God has always planned to provide salvation through Christ. He chose us 
to be in him before the foundation of the world. This, this, could, not, this could not mean we were in him and then fell out of him. And then, when we were, we, then he quickened us again and then we were born again and back in him, which is what some teach. That's absurd. Uh, no, you were born in Adam and you heard the gospel of your salvation. And when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess where you were found? You were found in him. And that's what Paul's saying. A benevolent God has sent his son who was a benevolent son who loved the Father. And because of their work together in the Godhead, we've been made, our salvation has been made available through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So why, why did he choose us in Christ before the foundation of the world? Well, I'm glad you asked. So we could be holy and without blame before him. I mentioned, I mentioned this a minute ago. Look at the last, last word in chapter 4, because this word is really important in regard to this doctrinal uh, th- the doctrinal things that rotate around these verses that we're going to be looking at the next week or so. He found us without blame before him in love. And so the doctrine of love is strangely missing from the Greek philosophies um, <clears throat> and the philosophers. Uh, Epictetus is one of the philosophers that espoused a philosophy that God could not ever rec- could God could never receive a sinner because he's too holy. You say, wait a minute, that that's before the church. Yeah, it was before the church. This was a Greek philosopher philosophizing on on theology. A guy that followed him was a guy named Plato. Maybe you've heard of that guy. Guy he he also postulated on those same things, and those same thoughts were found in a guy named Augustine's works on soteriology. And then later, those things were found in a guy named Calvin. And you can see those today in those very tenets. And it's really what it is, is a man-based philosophy. It's based in humanism. But what's, what's just missing? If you go back and read it, and, uh, and check it out, check me out on this, is in those philosophies, whether you go with Calvin, whether you go with Augustine, whether you go uh, back to Plato, uh, all of those are going to be lacking one thing, and that is the benevolent nature of Almighty God, who before the foundation of the world had already determined that all things were going to be settled in His Son. And He already understood that if you choose Christ, you get it, because He is all things. Your salvation comes through Christ. And so, and beyond that, so do the blessings. All blessings come from God. That's the whole purpose of what Paul's laying out here. And so the love of God is the, is the means by which men were chosen. The Father loved the Son, but the Son didn't obey the Father until 33 A.D. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean he didn't obey? He didn't have to obey because he was always doing the right thing. It wasn't until he found himself in a situation where he says, hey, uh, I'm actually, I'm sinless. I am the sinless Son of God. I'm the firstborn. I, I was born sinless. I have the Spirit. I don't want to, I mean, his nature was not to go to the cross. He said it, Father, I don't want to do this, man. Uh, Is there any other way? I mean, I'm paraphrasing it. He's like, uh, not my will, but thine be done. Man, he's sweating drops of blood. Why? Because God's sinless. He doesn't want to become the, I mean, as a human, he didn't want to become the sacrifice for sin. But you know what he did? He obeyed. That's That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews. He obeyed. How did he obey? He chose to suffer on the cross. It wasn't because he was obeying and and tempted by sin. No, he obeyed the Father and did and and went against everything in his human and divine nature and said, you know what, because I love you, Father, I'm going to go to the cross. And he went to the cross because the Father loved the world and thereby became our sacrifice for sin. He obeyed, and that's why he's highly exalted, and he's given a name above every name, 
that the name of Jesus, every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord because he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He did not just say that. He then demonstrated that. And now the Father says, bingo, I'm putting my stamp on that. And if you trust that, I'm putting my stamp on you. That's the seal of the Holy Ghost. That's the seal of the Spirit of God. Man, it's awesome stuff. And so God, he loves us. And, uh, and I just want to wrap it up with that because the last word that you see in verse 4 is love. Man, if God wasn't benevolent, let me tell you something. If God wasn't benevolent, he wouldn't choose any of us because he don't have to and he wouldn't even need to. The only reason that men have any access to God the Father through the Son is because of the benevolent nature of God. And when you miss that, you miss the whole thing. And so the, the relationship of the Godhead is crucial. And that's why the first chapter of Ephesians is really revealing insights about the deity of Christ, the relationship of the Godhead, and how that our inheritance in Christ, when we get saved, it is so rich. You don't have to wait till you die to get in on this. You already got it now because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You have the earnest of his spirit. That's what the Bible teaches. We just read about it a few minutes ago. So you're going to have to hang with me in the weeks ahead, and I'm going to continue to unroll this next week. Oh, yeah, we get to predestination, predestinated. Oh, my, what's that all about? And so we'll get into that because uh, I don't really want to... If you're not familiar with some of the, uh, the, the, the philosophies surrounding... Uh, for you theologians out there, you know, the, if you're all... If you're, I know some of you right now, are, you're, you're probably... Some, if you're a theologian, you're tied around the axle and you're ready to, you know, uh, throw me out in the, in the ocean. Okay, you can do that. But let me tell you, the Bible itself is it's self-defining. All we got to do is compare Scripture with Scripture. We just got to believe what it says, and it reveals the very nature of God and Christ. The answers for all these questions are not found in, in philosophies of men and, 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 a, and an overabundance of, of uh, definitions on one single word. It's found in putting words in context and comparing Scripture with Scripture and letting the Bible speak for itself. That's what we do in a Bible-believing local New Testament church. And that's why people who allow God's Word to speak, that's why they have a relationship with Christ. And when you have a relationship with Christ, man, you, you avail yourself of all the riches of heaven. That is the most incredible thing because all the riches of heaven are found in Christ. And so if you come back week after week, we'll, we'll bust out these, uh, these things that I've laid out, uh, the, these seven points. We've got point one down. We've got uh, six more to go. And then we'll move on to Paul's prayer and finish up the second half of that chapter. So let me pause there. Are there any questions tonight? Nope. Everybody's checked out and uh, went home. So, uh, all right, guys. So we're going to finish up tonight. Just a reminder, um, uh, we're, we're making some plans and planning uh, for uh, the, uh, the, uh, the new orders that have come forth from the governor and now uh, our local um, health director, Andy Warland. So Governor Parsons and, and Andy Warland have put out new parameters for after May the 4th. Uh, and so just so you know, the, the pastors, the deacons have met, the ministry heads will be meeting in the next few days, and we will uh, have a go-forward plan, Lord willing, uh, by this coming weekend. So you'll be included in how we plan on doing church after the, uh, after, you know, the next phase as uh, things start to unroll a little bit. And so uh, I will tell you this, uh, if you have in advance, we're going to do everything we can to, to continue in a, an abundance of caution. Uh, we're not going to get crazy with it, and we're going to be very as responsible as we can be within the guidelines and, and do everything we can. Number one, to honor the Lord. We do want to assemble together on the first day of the week as the Lord's commanded, so we're going to do that. Uh, we're also wanting to, to uh, make sure that we protect uh, the church body, so we're, we don't want to do anything foolish or rash, and so 
we will be, uh, you know, having uh, implementing things that that will ensure that we're uh, like checking temperatures and making sure people are good to go as they enter the building and exit the building. And there'll be parameters that we'll lay out for that. Uh, seating as well, social distancing spaces, all of that will be adhered to. Uh, and then as well as uh, we will make sure that uh, we have a plan for your continual ed edification in the Adult Bible Fellowships and what we're going to be doing with ministries going forward um, that can function versus those that should not function, at least until things are rolled back some more. Uh, I can tell you now that the children's ministry will not be able to function uh, as uh, we are used to in the building, uh, at least until June. And so and maybe, you know, some of that's subject to, you know, further notice ourselves from the powers that be. So that'll be coming. And so um, all of that information will be we'll be rolling that out. And uh, I'll, I'm going to try to have a either a live feed or something uh, at the end of the week to kind of give you the formal layout uh, and as we kind of cross all the T's, dot all the I's internally and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to, uh, you know, honor the Lord, honor his church. Also, we want to submit to the powers that be, and uh, also we're very interested in making sure that we are blameless and harmless uh, in, in regard to our testimony in our community, uh, and, and so we don't want to do anything there to be foolish in regard to allowing uh, any of those to get out of balance or out of whack. But obviously the priority is on Christ, uh, the church, and then uh, the, the principalities that empowers, uh, and then, of course, this world that we're here to reach. So uh, those four things are really guiding everything that we do. So... Please be patient and understanding. If you have questions about all of that, um, we can answer those uh, probably Sunday or, or some other time this week. But uh, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, Ray, is there anybody else has any questions, comments, anything that I need to know about out there in the uh, chat box world? Amen. Yeah, make sure... Uh, uh, we're, we're calling our peeps, and uh, I need to do that too. I woke up this morning thinking about it. I didn't get it in myself because I've been busy doing other things. But, uh, man, uh, tomorrow's my day to focus on, on you guys as a body in regarding to praying, and, uh, and uh, I'll try to make some phone calls as well and pray with some of you. Remember the Barneses.